You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Mostly dead authors, fresh takes. Ruining required reading, one book at a time. Welcome to Oh No Lit Class, the podcast that puts the unbearable in the unbearable lightness of being. I'm Megan. Oh yeah, RJ's not here. And it's okay. We're okay. Pravi's okay. And while we know that obviously remote recording is a thing, as we do it quite often with other people... Arjun's living situation is a bit fluid right now as he's staying with folks and then, you know, figuring out our apartment situation. And, you know, he has to be doing real adult things, which is why continuing to host the Book and Ding Dong show has fallen to me. And we have a whole month of guests coming up in March Mini Madness, Madness, Madness. Yes, Pravi, it's very exciting, and I'm glad you asked. The answer is that March Mini Madness is going to be a new mini-sode every week for the month of March, and probably a little bit beyond, depending on how this whole moving schedule goes. Yes, that's right, Pravi. Each uh, episode will be available early on Patreon before it drops live for everybody else. For this final February episode, with our show's birthday just behind us, and me just by myself, I got a bit sentimental, and I put together, yep, that's right, it's a best of clip show, uh, which, I mean, it's, it's the title of the episode. It's not like I tricked you into clicking on this. I put together a collection of bits and clips from some of my favorite, oh no, lit class moments. And it totally didn't make me very sad and lonely at all. No, actually mostly just kind of made me giggle and also just shake my head and sigh and age like five years. Because God, we're dumb. But I hope you enjoy this trip down Ono class memory lane. Uh, maybe you can use it as an introduction to get a friend to listen. Or maybe not. Depends on what your friend's into, quite honestly. You would know that better than me. I I don't know your friends, or do I? I might. It's it's possible. Probably might know them. So, sound off on social media, on our Facebook group, or on Twitter about which bits are your favorites, which ones you thought were like, why did you put this on here? This isn't funny. And also, ones that I didn't put and that I'm wrong and bad for not putting. Positive, negative, any kind of attention counts as validation for me. I'm easy. Before we jump into things, I just want to take a second to thank our wonderful, beautiful, February fantabulously amazing patrons who help support the show and keep it going, including our newest member, Jean. Thank you, Jean. Or, or Jan? No. That's not a way people pronounce that, I don't think. It's probably Jean. Thank you. If I said it wrong, please let me know, and I'll fix it. In the next episode, I'll be like, I said it badly. This is actually their name. 
And speaking of our, our wonderful, beautiful patrons and Patreon in general, uh, there's still, as of this episode dropping, there, there's still a few more days for you to pledge to our Patreon at patreon.com slash class to the $5 tier or above, or a little a little more if you're feeling, feeling sassy, saucy, and you want maybe a poster or a t-shirt or something fun like that. Uh, and get our limited edition anniversary sticker and bookmark that will only be available for this month. You'll get that on top of the regular, you know, sticker and bookmark that you get at the $5 level. And then also a personalized letter. Because we just love you so much. Yes, Pravi, we love them so much. Don't you dare question me. All right, before this gets any weirder, we, we should probably just start the episode. So... Here we go. That's my transition music. I hope you like it. From episode 28, the story behind Three Musketeers bars and why RJ is just like that. So a note about the candy bar. Just so we can get this shit settled. Delicious. Uh, One of my favorites. You know, Halloween (laughs) when I was a kid, Three Musketeers was like number one. Like, what? when I was looking through the bag, yeah, I really like Musketeers. Yeah, because the ones that have the caramel and the nuts, they all kind of run together. You like a Milky Way and a Snickers, it's the same fucking bar. I don't think a Milky Way has nuts in it. Well, that's the difference. Uh, Snickers has nuts, the other one doesn't. But they both have caramel, and they're pretty similar, and they kind of look similar unless you look at the wrapper. Now, Payday I liked also. They get the whole chocolate out of there. Just nuts and caramel. That's, that's awful, and you're a monster? Payday. No human being enjoy Payday is like a, getting a fucking like visit to the dentist. Now what, I like about, now, now, what I like to do with the Three Musketeers is usually I would eat what would be the bottom, and you kind of like nibble it off like a hamster, and then you eat the nougat middle, and that leaves you with the shell, and then you eat the shell. You're an animal masquerading as a man. Oh, it's very fun and very <laughs> delicious. A deconstructed Three Musketeers. I would buy, <laughs> if I could, vests. <laughs> of whatever they put in the middle there. Oh my god, that's awful. So why is it called a Three Musketeers bar? Three ingredients. Because No, not three ingredients. And not because there's a chapter where, like, Athos is like, shit, man, you know what I love more than, like, being a musketeer? Fuck, Need, fucking nougat. Need some energy, bro. Nougat's my fave. No. It's because the candy bar was actually originally sectioned to be split three ways between you and your own personal Aramis and Porthos. That's pretty good. Fuck D'Artagnan. No candy for him. Yeah. That's yeah, so why it's called Three Musketeers bar. There you go. From episode 44, we learn about Robert Louis Stevenson's nurse and her extremely unfortunate nickname. So, given his constant illnesses, Robbie's parents, being relatively well-to-do, were able to afford a live-in nurse. Her name was Allison Cunningham. The thing is, like me, the Stevenson family liked utilizing nicknames. So, nurse Allison Cunningham was shortened to... Oh, no. Cummy. Nurse, cummy. No, you're lying. Motherfucking Robbie and crew called their living nurse Miss Cummy. Oh, Cummy, could you come help me, please? By the way, Cummy. This is going to take a while. This is almost as bad as Ballsack. So, by the way, Ballsack. By the way, Cummy. God damn it. Was apparently very religious. Fervently so. 
Her chosen religion was Calvinism. <laughs> Cummy's blabbering about Calvinism was apparently nonstop, and it really bothered Robbie, as he was not much about the whole God thing. But with Cummy around, he started having <laughs> nightmares about God. In short, the Stevenson household sounds like a lovely place to have grown up in. Like, so, you got a problem with Calvinist coming? <laughs> I mean, where do you think they got that from? It's Cunningham. I guess they didn't want to call her Cunny. I don't know. Well, they, could, they, could, they could just call her fucking Alice. Allie. Allie is also cute. Cummy. Cummy. <laughs> it's like when you get you know your grandma and the little kid comes up with like the worst grandma nickname imaginable because it's like the first thing they can say and you're stuck with it. It's like, Game Gam! And it's like, well, that's your name forever now. You're Game Gam. So maybe when he was a baby, he called her Cummy and, and that's just, that was it. <laughs> did they know what Cum was? Or not what Cum was. Did they, <laughs> they didn't know that? what Cum was back then. I'm pretty sure they were using that word back then. No one had ever ejaculated before. From episode 56, Exercising Street Smarts. In the world of Narnia. Uh, he says his name is Mr. Tumnus, and uh, he tells her she's in a place called Narnia, and she's just like, Oh, this is amazing! I need to go back to the wardrobe and, like, tell my siblings! And Mr. Tumnus is like, No, come to my house and have tea with me instead! And Lucy's just like, Okay! <laughs> Again, to be fair, I feel like she's reacting the way possibly little girls around that time were kind of trained to react. Just be very polite. Don't say anything that could cause consternation. Just sort of say, yes, this is fine. You know, which is part of the fucking problem. But I, it's not super unrealistic. That is, no, actually, that's a really good point. Like, um, I'm trying to ruin it by just being like, this kid's an idiot. You're coming in here with the good, like, this kid has been trained by the societal norms of the time <laughs> to make bad decisions. Which is valid. <laughs> if only Lucy knew about the, the J.J. Bittenbinder method, she'd know the dangers of being taken to a secondary location. <laughs> you gotta lay down on your back and just start kicking your legs. Yeah, you gotta confuse kicks. them. Street smarts. Street smarts. Although I like my method better where you just piss yourself, shit yourself, and you vomit all over yourself. Someone's gonna want to deal with you. Look. Narnia is in public domain now. We can rewrite this. We can. We can make the second Mr. We, Tumnus. We might have to. <laughs> the second Mr. Tumnus emerges from the forest, she just pisses and shits herself. <laughs> 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 She's like, "Stay away!" <laughs> and then Lucy proceeded to piss and shit her pants as she had learned from the John Mulaney sketch. <laughs> I don't know you. That's my purse. purse. I don't know you. All right, we're like three gags deep. <laughs> yeah. So, so wouldn't you know it? Tumnus drugs and hypnotizes her, and with like a flute. But then he starts crying, and he admits that he's a spy for the evil White Witch who rules Narnia and makes it so that it's always winter, but never Christmas. That monster. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, like, it's obvious. It just, it just tickles me. It's like, it's always winter, and it's never even Christmas. That bitch. I can understand why Tolkien fucking hated this, because <laughs> the, the question, like, your daughter, daughter of Eve, is there an Adam and Eve in Narnia? Where does Christmas come from? Where the fuck does Christmas come from in Narnia? Megan, answer me this. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. You know, Tolkien spent three years inventing a language. C.S. Lewis was just like, eh, Christmas, this'll do. You no, know? I can absolutely see Tolkien with his, like, maps and his, like, book-long extra histories that aren't even published with the rest of it, explaining the world, just being like, 
Hey, Clive, fuck you. <laughs> I put Jesus in my story. <laughs> He's a lion. <laughs> yeah, I, I gave him the wrong accent. Well, <laughs> it's okay. I did I did too. He's, he's Irish. Oi. Oi. <laughs> no. He's a lion. <laughs> what the hell was that? <laughs> From episode 35, questioning the banning of books based on sex thoughts and also bad Canadian accents. So Flash for Algernon is another one of those books, like, like all great books or all great literature, it was frequently challenged, mainly on the basis of like, how dare children be given a book where the main character has sex thoughts. I know, they think 15 year olds haven't thought about sex, can't imagine a character <laughs> who wants sex with somebody. Gotta hide this from kids. No, no, no. And plus, this wasn't just like, maybe the usual candidates where we might think people would you know censor things it was places like calgary yeah (laughs) (laughs) even in calgary fucking canadians (laughs) are so polite and they go oh oh no oh he's thinking oh he's thinking about sex he's thinking about sex guys we can't have this not with the children guys someone think of the children we still can't do a canadian accent oh oh yeah i don't even know what you're doing i know i'm at least in the in the neighborhood you're in a di- oh, on a different oh, continent. Oh, that Danny boy, yeah. From episode 13, piss your pants and do a soliloquy. The party ends with Gertrude insisting that Hamlet take time off from school to chill at home and bond with his new stepdad. He is less than enthused and has one of his many 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 soliloquies. If you're not familiar with the term, a soliloquy is a long speech that's sort of an aside to the audience. As in, like, the other characters in the play, even if they're standing right there next to them, can't hear it. So it's kind of like you're getting to hear the characters' inner thoughts, except they're yelling them at you. When I was taught Hamlet in high school, the teacher, trying to explain the idea of soliloquies to us, for some reason explained it by saying... The way to think of a soliloquy is the actor relieving himself on stage. What the fuck? <laughs> that the way to think about it is there's all this angst and stuff built up and they need to just get it out. And so, like, when you go to the bathroom, you don't want anyone to see you when you soliloquize. It's you and the audience and no one else on stage is able to see it or hear it. And they're relieving the anguish that's built up in them. Uh, gives a new meaning to verbal diarrhea. They just let it out. Gross. But clearly this explanation worked because you remember it some, well, a lot of years later. Well, an image of an actor just pissing on stage, yeah. <laughs> it sticks with you when that's the explanation to what a rather simple term is. Hey, they, they did their job. They taught you a thing. They learned you a word. Yeah. Yep. From episode 30, where we attempt to traverse the heart of darkness and instead traverse the darkness of John Wayne. Marlon is very bummed that he'll never get to hear Kurtz's voice, which is sort of interestingly, weirdly specific. Like, he doesn't want to see him. He doesn't want to touch him. He, he might want to touch him. But he wants to hear him speak. What does he even want him to say? Like, who knows? I don't know. Marlo probably doesn't even know. Howdy, partner. <laughs> what? It's me, Gert. <laughs> How you doing, Pilgrim? How's it going, Pilgrim? Wait, why is... Don't they call each other Pilgrims or something in this thing? Well, the, the some of the travelers are 
described as pilgrims because they're going on a pilgrimage. How you doing there, pilgrim? Pilgrim. Why is Kurtz John Wayne now instead of Marlon Brando? I'm called the Duke. <laughs> I died with 40 pounds of feces in my intestines. What the fuck? You don't know that about John Wayne? What? <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? John Wayne. Yes, John Wayne, the actor. <laughs> when he died, he had 40 pounds of shit in him. He, what? He was really constipated. What did he die of? Did he, did he die of something related to the fact that he wasn't pooping? <laughs> this isn't real. This is you're making this up. 40 pounds? That's like, a, that's a child. Well, they did the uh, autopsy on John Wayne. He had 40 pounds of impacted fecal matter. How are you kidding? Can you imagine? Like, okay, let's say he weighed, what, like <laughs> 200 some odd pounds? Yeah. D- do do fractions for me real quick. 20%. 20% of his body weight was poop. Why? What did he die of? Oh, that's say. Some people say this is not true. Oh, fake news. Oh, I'd like to believe oh, fake news. That means you just found it and it said it's not true and you fucking lied to me. <laughs> oh, I don't know who's telling the truth. You now. got me all on a ladder. Now there's a debate. Over, over the, there's a debate over how much poop was inside <laughs> John Wayne when he died. Well, and here we go. Why it is there it was rumored there was 40 pounds of impacted feces in his colon. Rumored. What did he die of? You're not answering the question. Why, uh, why would there be any sort of plausibility to this? Uh, stomach cancer. Yeah, that's the you know? Yeah, yeah, that would fuck some things up down, down there in that area. I'll stick with the rumor. Yeah, you want to believe? <laughs> I want to believe. <laughs> Keep dreaming that dream, Mulder. This, this got really weird. How the fuck did we end up here? Talking about how much poop may or may not have been inside John Wayne's colon when he died. Howdy, Pilgrim. (laughs) I gotta take a crap. Really bad. Well, uh, Marlo's never, as far as he knows, he's never gonna get to hear those words. (laughs) Those very specific words. From episode 52, Epic Poem Genealogy and Live Nude Beowulf. Nothing can stop him. Not fighting him, not trying to bribe him or reason with him or anything. Everyone just gets extremely murdered and eventually abandons Herod Hall and Hrothgar becomes the subject of a bunch of sad songs about how he's a shitty king who can't deal with one lousy swamp demon. (laughs) Take care of your house, man. (laughs) So these stories travel far and wide, including across the sea to a place called Geatland, which is Sweden, Swedenish? Yeah, it's on Sweden, so it's like really not that far away from Denmark. Little ocean. It's just like little hop, skip, yeah. and a jump. They're all named Sven there. Yes, they are all named Sven, <laughs> except the ones that aren't. Anyway, adding Geatland, a mysterious Geat warrior, also known as the mightiest warrior on earth. Gosh, I wonder I wonder who that could be. He hears the story of Grendel and is just like, cool, sounds fun. Like, come on, Geats, road trip. And they, they sail across the sea to the Danish coast, and then there's this whole scene where there's, like, a guard on lookout, and he's like, Hey, who are you? Like, what's going on here? Explain yourself. And our mysterious Geet warrior, who just has bravery and charisma out the ass, is like, I'm Beowulf. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure it's exactly how he said it. But yeah, he's like, I'm here to kill your monster. But first, here's my entire genealogy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to establish yourself, you know? <laughs> 
and uh, Carla is not joking because because after that that badass shit it takes like a hundred back and forths between Beowulf and various Hrothgar lackeys where they do this where it's like well my dad was so and so king of so and so blah 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 yep <laughs> for them to actually talk to each other because you know things were getting dangerously spicy there for a second well they didn't have 23 and me back in the day you had to keep track of this shit <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, through what I assume is just lots of charts. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, Hrothgar realizes that he knew Beowulf's dad, Edgethow. Thank you. Edgethow. Means edge servant. No, not edge lord. Edge as <laughs> in, edges in like, the, the edge of a sword. Servant of the sword? Yeah. That's actually really cool. Edge lord is funnier, though. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So he decides that because of that, Beowulf can come talk to him, which is pretty ballsy. Like, oh yeah, I guess I'll see you, guy who wants to kill the monster that's been murdering my people for a dozen years. Like, (laughs) I suppose I can block out some time for (laughs) you. And uh, just because he's apparently that extra, as we will come to know, Beowulf vows that not only will he kill Grendel, he's going to do it without any weapons. Or clothes. Or clothes. Thank you for clearing that up, because I was going to ask you for clarification on that, because I didn't want just people thinking I was a pervert. Uh, yeah, no no one asked him to do that. Hrothgar even is, talks about how, like, Grendel has killed every single hero that's, like, popped out of the woodwork, promising to slay the monster. So even with a sword and pants, Beowulf's got his work cut out for him. But no, like, he's committed to fighting with his bare hands and, apparently, his bare ass. Yep. <laughs> From episode 14, where not only are there eyes watching God, but they're watching Skrillex, too. Basically, Nanny, Janie's grandmother, says that she's tried to give Janie every advantage in life that she can. And that includes getting young Janie married off before Nanny dies so that she knows her granddaughter is in good hands. Unlike Nanny, who had to live as a slave before the Civil War, and unlike her daughter, Janie's mom, who was raped by a white man and after giving birth to Janie became an alcoholic and left her. So we can kind of see where Nanny's coming from here, but also Janie is 16 and barely just kissed a boy and Nanny wants her to marry some gross old man named Logan Killix. Skrillex? Yes, Logan Skrillex. Wow. Janie hates dubstep, so it's just, it's not gonna last. Even though Janie is an actual child and doesn't want to marry a grown man who that she has no romantic feelings for, Nanny basically guilts Janie into doing it anyway, saying that she'll love him eventually, and also, dude's got 60 acres of land, so maybe she could just love that instead. So she marries Logan. And it sucks. The house is in the middle of nowhere, and she's lonely, and Logan sees her less as a wife and more as an object for him to lay claim to and put to use hauling firewood and shit. The main point it seems we're meant to take away from this is that they fight a lot about chopping and hauling firewood, and his feet stink real bad. Also, he won't stop mentioning his ex-wife, so, you know, A-plus marriage. I'm telling this to all the guys out there. You're current, don't want to hear about your ex. It's true. Yeah, Logan Skrillex. (laughs) Yeah. I'm ready now. Next time I make a point, I'm dropping this. (laughs) You gotta wait till the actual drop. There you go. Okay, just stop. (laughs) I can't think of when that's going to be appropriate. Alright. Janie goes to complain to Nanny, who tells her that if Logan isn't beating her, that's about the best she can hope for. Like, wait, you want to actually love each other? Look at you with your big pie-in-the-sky dreams of 
actually caring about the person you're married to and I can't even keep this joke up because it's making me sad. And then Nanny dies. <laughs> God damn it. This should be the rest of the fucking thing, isn't it? You're just gonna be drunk. Shit. <laughs> conversation though like about a month later so logan makes janie farm for him because he apparently was under the impression that he was marrying a plow horse and i can't fucking do this because i keep looking at you wondering when you're gonna press the button from episode 25 where scout finch confronts racism and kicks it in the wang but it works out okay and dill is allowed to stay with them for the summer but before they can engage in any tire rolling or door knocking, Tom Robinson is brought to Maycomb, specifically to the Maycomb County Jail. That night, Atticus leaves the house with a light bulb and an extension cord and is like, I'm going out, don't ask me any questions, this isn't weird. The kids follow him, obviously, and find him standing guard outside the jail, reading under the light. Then, as if on cue, four cars pull up and a gang of dudes start making intimations that Atticus ought to take off, and that if he doesn't, bad things might happen to him. The kids break into the scene and Atticus tries to get them to leave, but Jem refuses, and then one of the men makes a grab for Jem and Scout straight up kicks the man in the dick and wrecks him, cause Scout is the coolest nine-year-old ever. Then she recognizes one of the men as the father of Walter, aka the shoeless poor kid who puts molasses on everything, and she's like, hey Mr. Cunningham, how's it going? How's Walter? Still eating food like a big old weirdo? And Mr. Cunningham has the decency to finally feel fucking ashamed of himself and leaves taking the group of would-be KKKers with him. Atticus is simultaneously freaked out, relieved, and proud of his kids. Scout has no idea what the hell just happened, but is pretty jazzed about getting to kick a grown man in the dick, as we all would be. From Episode 7, Puchinski, An Explanation. 1931 Frankenstein. So this is where shit starts to go kind of screwy. So in the movie, our Frankenstein is not named Victor, but Henry. And he's a middle-aged scientist and, like, an actual doctor and not, like, a teenage shithead dropout. And his hunchback assistant, named Fritz, decide to make a corpse man. But Fritz fucks it up because he gives, uh, when they're making the, 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 the man out of the bodies, he gives him an abnormal brain. Abnormal? Yes. Right. I'm gonna keep making young Frankenstein references until you notice them. The poor dad from Everybody Loves Raymond. It's true. Peter Boyle. Yep. Puchinski. Oh no. <laughs> I'm a dog. Unfortunately, there's, I mean, I would, love, <laughs> I would love to tell people about Puchinski, but we're going like way off the rails at this point. Like, <laughs> you feel like if you're calling the plot of Frankenstein, fucking Tim like we're tracing this from, hey, there's a there's a movie version by Mel Brooks named Young Frankenstein. Peter Boyle is in that. Puchinski. You remember Peter Boyle? The dad from Everybody Loves Raymond. He was in a failed TV pilot <laughs> called Puchinski, where he's a cop who dies, but his now. soul goes into the body. From episode 22, RJ makes his first financial acronym. 
Well, in any case, this is a good segue into this bi-weekly episode of Financing with RJ. Oh, God. Depressions. I'm going to help you plan for the next Great Depression. So what can you do to help yourself survive a downturn in the market? Ah, Well, okay. don't forget RJ's four simple financial tips. Uh, uh, what are they? Diversify. Okay. Invest. Okay. Consolidate. Okay. And kill. What? Now say it again. <laughs> Diversify, Diver- diversify, invest, invest, consolidate, and kill. kill. Now, you diversify your holdings, a mixture of bank accounts, precious metals, and stocks. So you, the, the gold I've got buried in the front yard. You invest about 40% of your savings into the market. You consolidate your earnings and decide the best place to keep them. And lastly... Buried in the front yard. And lastly, you kill anyone or anything that leads to losses for you and yours. Okay, are you sure this isn't financing with Walter White? Until next time, this has been Financing with RJ. Remember to love each other, but more importantly, to love the feeling of money in your wallet. Oh my god. This Financing with RJ was brought to you by the Great Depression. Feeling down? Losing money? Don't worry, Pfizer has a pill for that. Pfizer, the pill people. We're gonna get in trouble for so many different reasons. From episode 51, what if the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, but Orpheus fucking sucks at guitar. Now, here's a quick aside before we get into what what the stipulation was. And so we know the myth specifically says Orpheus gets his way because everyone in the underworld is just so touched by his beautiful music. Even, Even the god of the dead is like, ugh, my heart. But I think it's kind of fun and also works if you imagine the opposite, that Orpheus is just wailing off key and randomly strumming his lute like a horrific middle school talent show band. And maybe just, yeah, going down there going, wake me up, wake me up inside. And all, all the creatures and the beings in the underworld are stopping what they're doing because they're like, oh my god, what the hell is that? It sounds so awful. It sounds like someone's murdering a cat by shoving in a guitar and then throwing that guitar down the stairs and then hades agrees to give him back eurydice like just to get him to fucking leave already and he's just like yes fine i'll bring your wife back just just please stop playing i'm begging you you can hear him coming from around i'm blue this whole world is blue and everything is blue for him god just take your wife and get out of here I'm a Barbie girl <laughs> in Barbie world. My wife is dead. It really sucks. It's Friday. <laughs> Friday. <laughs> Gotta give me my dead wife back on Friday. What seat will I put her in? I don't know. Because she's dead. <laughs> I like this version of the Call me maybe. Let me know if you're gonna give me my wife back. Hey, I just met you, and this is crazy. I'm in the underworld. Give me my fucking dead wife. Hey, Macarena. That's it. That's the Macarena. Oh, I didn't know Herman Macarena was in the room. Or though. Maybe he saw Beetlejuice, and so they do, Dale! I say Dale! Dale. And, oh, and he makes them all do the dance. Because he's got music powers. So like in Beetlejuice, where they're all dancing against their will, he's got like Hades and Persephone and, and, and Sisyphus and everybody just doing the daylight come and we want to go home. Exactly. And they figure out, how do we make you stop? <laughs>
from episode 34 of Mice and Men, how does Lenny masturbate? Anyway, before George can go get his rocks off, Curly walks in. Three guesses what he's doing there. Using that Vaseline hand. No. No, he doesn't. Yeah, he walks into the bunkhouse masturbating with his Vaseline <laughs> hand like, hey guys, what's up? Yeah, my <laughs> dick. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's looking for his fucking wife again. Because their marriage is just one stupid game of hide and seek. <laughs> Gotta keep it fresh. <laughs> he thinks Slim is fucking his wife because Slim is hot and, you know, just like a cool dude. And because of this, he picks a fight with Lenny. Yeah, so the big sexy ranch hand is, like, a little too scary, so let's try to beat up the developmentally disabled guy. Yeah, we can pick on him, except joke's on Curly, because Lenny straight up crushes his fucking hand. Like, just to a, a, a fine, fleshy pulp. Yeah. Uh, Slim goes... You thought it was a puppy. <laughs> his hand is so soft. <laughs> Reminds me of puppies and ah. rabbits. Yeah, how do you think he masturbates? <laughs> You know, did you think <laughs> one day was just the last time it was the final day? And like, oops, just like a tube of toothpaste. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> I right. broke my dick. Thank you. Yes. Jesus Christ. Where were we at? From episode 47, Culting with RJ. So, in short, you had a community of people in Massachusetts attempting to make a living by farming in the middle of winter without the use of animal labor, while only being able to wear clothes made of linen, eating only fruits and vegetables, not having any coffee or tea to keep warm, and being forced to take a cold shower every morning. This sounds like a recipe for success. Yeah, it was. <laughs> this experiment lasted seven months before collapsing. Honestly, that's longer than I would have given it. This brings us to this week's installment of Financing with RJ, <laughs> Cult Edition. <laughs> now, cults have existed for a long time. These transcendentalists were not doing anything novel. And I mean, I guess it makes some financial sense, right? One paycheck, one person's output only goes so far. Two people's goes further. But three, four, ten, twenty, or more? It goes all that much further. You get Nathaniel Hawthorne shoveling your poop hill for you. <laughs> and like-minded people like spending their time, money, and energy on similar things. So on the surface, yeah, it makes logical sense. In practice, however, shit don't work. I mean, at least I haven't come across a cult that made me take a step back and look at it and go, Yeah, you know what? That's the trick. What you were describing just a few seconds ago was a commune. A, a cult needs to have a, a, a leader or a figurehead or a weird and upsetting doctrine. Until now. Which I'm sure we're about to get. You see, the cult of RJ is alive and well. Oh god. It's healthy. No, it's, it's good not. for your mind, soul, no. and most importantly, your wallet. It is none of those things. Unlike these other cults, I won't ask you to drink any Kool-Aid. Or good. let me uh, have sex with your significant other. Don't let him do that. You don't need to take cold showers, unless you're into that kind of thing. That's fine. Even though it does save on the heating bill. This is true. And you could eat as much or as little of whatever you like. Okay, cool. To join the cult of RJ, all you need to do is to remember. Oh no. Make any necessary spending obviate non-essentials. Make any necessary, necessary spending. Okay, and then obviate, obviate your non-essentials. That is Manson. N-S-O-N. Now, do what you must. Avoid what you don't must. P. 
P.S. Kool-Aid is never a must. Yeah, no. Brings down any party. Hey, that does it for this week's special cult edition of Financing with RJ. <laughs> Remember, always love yourself, love each other, but most importantly, love the feeling of money in your pocket. From episode 24, the Onolik class players perform the gift of the Magi. If you're not familiar with the plot, it's pretty simple. In fact, it's so short and simple that we can give you the Oh No Lit Class production of it. You'll just have to close your eyes and imagine the lavish set design and cutting edge CGI effects for yourself. Unless you're driving. Then, you know, don't don't close your eyes, please. Keep them open. Get a Tesla, you poor fucking bastards. <laughs> Speaking of poor fucking bastards, so here we go. The Gift of the Magi as performed by the Oh No Lit Class players. Hey, Jim, we sure are poor as hell, right? Oh, yup. Okay. Oh, yup. (laughs) I love being poor. (laughs) Yep, we're about as poor and sad a couple as they come, but we do got two things going for us, right? Okay. (laughs) No. No. Nope, no two things. Nope. I can't count that high. Why is he a hick? Why ain't he a hick? Okay, (laughs) he'll be really monotone. I'm Jim. I hear we have two things for us. (laughs) Yes, yes, Jim. We have my long, beautiful, flowing hair and your shiny... uh, We do. Your shiny gold watch that's been passed down to you from your father and his father, etc. Daddy. Uh, Why am I married to you? But... It's Christmas Eve, and neither of us have any money to buy gifts because, as previously mentioned, we are just so dang poor. We're so poor. I want a divorce. Can I I need a better gym in here. I, I'm going to divorce you. I'm going to marry a better gym. Let's bring a better gym in here. Oh, yuck. No, not you again. No, go. New one. New gym. Sup. Fine, I'll take it. Word. <laughs> I know. I'll sell off all my hair, because that's a thing I could do, I guess. Bitchin'. And, I get, and I'll get a hot 20 bucks for it, which is over $500 in today money. Yo, man. Holy that's like shit. Such an Andrew Jackson. That must be some hair. Word. Okay, you know what? This isn't working out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a fresh gym. What? Come get on, ahead. man. Go, go. go. New gym. Hello. Okay, you seem fine. I'm going to use this money and... I'm blind. <laughs> Great. I can't use this watch. <laughs> I think I'll sell it. I can't see the watch. <laughs> I should be able to get a few bucks for it. New gym. Sub him in. Nope. Nope. This is the gym I'm stuck with. It, it, it's kind of key to the story that he'd be able to see. Wow. Gotta check that privilege. It's not really privilege. It's it's There's key components here that require Jim to be sighted. I'm Jim. How are you? Uh, well, I'm going to be great now because I'm going to use this money that I got for my hair and buy a fancy watch chain for Jim's fancy watch so he can stop using, like, string or whatever the hell he's going on now. Because I have $500 that I'm not putting towards rent for some reason. You're great on my utility bill. Yes. Yes. And then, uh, Jim comes home and sees Della 
Della says. Oh, Jim, I hope you'll still love me, even without most of my hair. I sold it all to buy you this watch chain because Christmas makes us do stupid things. By the way, don't ask me how much it was. Oh, my God. You look just like my mother, Martha. <laughs> Why are you saying that name, Jim? <laughs> but I have something I have to tell you. Yeah? I sold my utility belt and watch to buy you hair clips <laughs> and combs for your hair. Well, shit. But it's okay, though. Even if these expensive gifts are now functionally useless, the real gift we have is love. I could use the chain to flagellate myself. Is that the word? Yeah, that's that's the word, I'll, Jim. I'm going to flagellate myself. With the $500 watch chain. With the $500 watch chain while I comb my hair. <laughs> my long, beautiful locks. I'll take my cow off. You're not even Batman anymore. I don't know what you're doing now. And uh, that's the gift of the Magi. Now, to be fair... So who was the Magi? Was it me? uh, Was it you? I I guess we were all... I think the real Magi was the friends we made along the way. From episode 68. Some things diverge in a wood, and and they're, they're wood. It's wood. It's about penis. We talked about Little Women already. Shh. (laughs) <laughs> they don't have it. If they just go back in our ca- our catalog. We re-released the episode. Ah, Little Women, the remix. <laughs> bitches went to the west. <laughs> I went to the right. All three of them bitches. There were more than three sisters, I think. Get on this dick. <laughs> but only if you're over 18. Only if you're over 18. Yeah, yeah. That's important. That's a very important thing to specify. <laughs> Don't get on this dick until you're of age. Yeah, even if you're little, but you're over 18, that's good. There you go. You could be you be real short, but just yeah. as long as you're old enough, <laughs> there's no height requirement to yeah. ride this dick. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> they got to choose. What? I came across two dicks in the meadow. <laughs> One had clearly seen more use than the other. I took the dick less traveled. And it has made all the difference. (laughs) I thought maybe I'll make it back to that other dick someday. But, you know, way goes to way. (laughs) I got preggers. Shut that whole thing down for a while. Wow, way way to be heteronormative and assume. Yeah. And it's not a man riding that dick. No. Well, we're talking about Little Women. <laughs> That's the title of the book. Okay, look. We traveled a lot of distance very quickly. Leave me alone. From episode 10, The Art of Whale Sounds and the Music of Moana in Moby Dick. At this point, uh, Ishmael fades out of the narrative again, and we focus <laughs> on... Yeah, that's it. Bye, Ishmael. And we focus on Ahab obsessively charting the ocean in the hope of finding one single whale in the entire fucking ocean. He should have done his whale call. Should have got Regina Spectre out there. Really? Not going for, like, the obvious Finding Nemo joke? Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. No, not Finding Finding Dory. She does it in Finding Nemo. Too. I don't remember that. It's me. Ahab. Moby. Come to me. It's Ahab. <laughs> it's Ahab. Would have saved a lot of time. Yes. 
And then Melville has to stop and take a whole chapter to remind us just how fucking big whales are. Huge. In case anyone wasn't clear on that. Big. To try to keep his crazy under wraps, Ahab distracts the crew by letting them hunt some garden variety non-demon whales. One appears, and then suddenly there are also just five dudes on the deck around Ahab. Turns out they're his special whale hunting team that he assembled just for getting Moby Dick, and they've apparently been successfully hiding from the entire crew for months now. The Expendables. When did they eat? When did they poop? Where did they poop? The deck. Not the Weedo deck, though, because that place is still pretty nice. Yeah, well. Yeah, you got a tan there. You gotta have the wristband to get on the Weedo deck. Apparently no one on the crew cares about this because it's whale-killing time, except no, it's not because a storm hits and the whales get away. God forbid something exciting should happen. Storms are exciting. I guess, except it's like it's just sort of like, oh, it's just a storm. Time passes, and the ship chases mysterious waterspouts and weather storms, and not much else goes that on. That sounds pretty exciting. Waterspouts? Storms? Well, the way the water spouts are is they see it from far off and they think it's a whale blowing up water through its blowhole, but then it's like just not. Like it's not, it's not anything. Thank you for your, your, your fully work. (laughs) Wait, what's that supposed to be? I'm so turned on right now. Maybe it's Ishmael and Queequeg. Maybe they're off banging. Maybe that's why we haven't seen them in so long. I could see what's happening here. <laughs> You're pretty horny and I'm down to fuck. <laughs> you were at sea, there's not much else to do. There aren't any whales, but there's all these dudes. Hey! <laughs> I'm Queequeg! <laughs> From episode 39, wherein baby H.P. Lovecraft questions both Santa and God... And RJ teaches us safe sex, question mark? At the age of five, the family told Huffy that Santa Claus did not exist. They just came out and said it. Now, here's the thing. Huffy didn't react to this as you might expect most five-year-olds would do. Where did you find this written down? Instead, his retort was, why is God not treated equally as a myth? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's real. You also, you omitted something. When Lovecraft was three, he was already proficient in reading and writing, and he was writing letters to his uncle. What? Yeah. Did, that, that is a pretty big omission. He's fucking... He's a, he's, a, he's a genius. That puts this weird five-year-old thing in context. You got a three-year-old who's just like, Dearest uncle, I'm writing to you, and I, I potty trained yeah, now. Yeah, golly, syphilis <laughs> sucks, right? <laughs> <laughs> Good golly, syphilis is terrible. And what what was that thing that he said when they told him? Also, where did you see that? Like they told H.P. Lovecraft that Santa Claus didn't exist. No, that's true. No, what he's saying is true. It's, it's true. Oh yeah, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying where does that live? They, they, they say, come on over <laughs> here, Hufflepuff, sit in our knee. Guess what? Santa Claus not real. And he and he said he asked, why is God not treated equally as a myth? God yeah. damn, that's a powerful response from a five year old. Yeah, wh- what a move by a five year old. <laughs> Told Santa Claus is a myth that you tell them. You don't think the other big man in the sky is a myth, too. You don't think the other big man's a sky is a myth, too? But you do think the wait, other big man you, in the sky s- is a myth, too. Wait, do you think Santa lives in the sky? 
Oh, Santa doesn't live anywhere. He's a myth. <laughs> the other big man in the sky. Like, you think that Santa lives in the sky. Well, he does on his, uh, with his reindeer and his uh, soy. I just like this tiny five-year-old voice. Going, well, why do you not also challenge God, mother? Because that's totally right, what a five-year-old to sounds like. Anyway, that five-year-old had some big dick energy, which he probably got from his dad. More on that later. Other things Huffy managed to get into, reading about Roman gods, astronomy, chemistry, and, oh yeah, human reproduction. By the time he was eight, even though no one ever sat him down to talk about the birds and the bees, only that Santa Claus didn't exist, he had figured out the whole shebang by reading about it in science books. Huffy said later in life that learning about sex at such an early age, in such a scientific and cold manner, quote, virtually killed my interest in the subject. It also probably didn't help that his mom, who was the parent that raised him, apparently hated sex. She was referred to as a, quote, touch-me-not wife by literally everyone, including Huffy. So she was probably asexual, and they didn't have a thing for that at the time, you know, in terms of, like, being recognized. There were questions as to if she and Dadcraft ever had sex, other than the one time they created Huffy, as she never showed any physical affection to anyone. Oh, and the fact that Dadcraft never made it out of the hospital. He died there. You see, he wound up being in the hospital for five years. Turns out, he had advanced syphilis. That will make you kind of uh, lose the majority of your brain functions. Yeah, that explained the craziness, the unending illness, and why he died so young. Thing is, Momcraft never got it. Which makes sense if the two never had sex. Well, they had to have to make the baby craft unless she had him with someone else. Well, the one time. Since Dadcraft was a traveling salesman and was known to, quote, take his sexual pleasures wherever he can find them, the picture is becoming clear. Sex was really not a good thing for the family. And this brings us to this week's edition of Safe Sexin' with RJ. Uh, okay. Yeah, you know what? Fine. We've done everything else. At least it's good advice. Go ahead. Hey, Veste. Yo! You've been laying down some pipe, bumping oh, some uglies, no. got some afternoon delight, nope. partaking in the shaking of the sheets, Please stop. gave someone a green gown, had your corn ground, groped for a trout in a particular stream, right? What the hell is a green gown? Right. Hey, I've shaken my fair share of maracas. Of course you have. This is the your wor- best day. This is the worst conversation I've ever had in my life. Well, best day, did you practice? Safe lovemaking? Did you saran wrap your salami, shrink wrap no, your schmeckle, wrap your whopper before you went and bopped her? How many of... Did you do any of those things, best day? I... The world needs to know. Your mother listens to this. She needs to know if you're practicing safe sex. Oh, God, that's sex. right. Mom listens to she every episode. She does. That's so funny. Are you practicing safe sex, You're doing this day? on purpose. I actually <laughs> use the ultimate contraceptive. Um, I, I still play Yu-Gi-Oh, so that, that that's fine. <laughs> that that usually works. That's more effective than any condom. Pretty much. From episode 50, Ethan Frome and the Ballad of the Oldest Horse. The uh, the narrator finally gets to talk to Ethan by hiring him as a driver. What kind of driver? To take him like to to, to and from his uh where he works. Mm. I think. Uh, with with a horse. With yeah, old, yeah. With an go. old barely functioning horse his bit spined horse so yes not a car driver like a horse driver i feel like you should have been able to put that together uh, how come they don't take the horse to the horse chiropractor he has a bent spine straighten that horse spine right out yeah no answer i don't have an, I don't have an answer for that 
The horse chiropractor. Well, the that, horse had that, a busted it's, back. It's, it's a great question. Yeah, I didn't have an answer for it. And then I thought you didn't either, but actually it was just because the connection died. <laughs> There's that much dead silence like that. That, that joke bombed so hard. It's not a joke. I want to damn it. I just, Why I just shut it down. <laughs> Force chiropractor. All right. That's that's where I draw the line. This poor horse. <laughs> Clearly he's in pain and they're like, yeah, fuck it. Just I'll throw this guy on your back. It's pulling a cart. They're not like riding the horse like. I'm imagining yeah, it, him wandering like, down the I'm imagining him going down the street like sideways because his like back's all broke. <laughs> like a shopping cart with a fucked up wheel. Yeah. It's just veering to one side. Well, do you think it's the same the same horse the whole time? I uh, yes, I do. I, th- I yeah. I mean, this horse is having That's a really a old life. That's a really old horse also. It, it would be a really old it'd be a 20 24 plus year old horse. They How old ha- do horses live? They could live into their 20s. And someone would have to mention at some point, like if they got rid of the horse, wow, man, it's really great having this new awesome horse that doesn't have a broken back. But it never right. gets established from my understanding, so it's the same horse throughout. <laughs> Otherwise, it's bad riding. I mean... Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you heard it here. Uh, are- you got to mention <laughs> it's a new horse. Otherwise, it's the horse you described. This isn't a film where you went from a black horse to a white horse, and like visibly, I could see that. Right. So if they ever mention it's a new horse, it's the old horse all the way. Yeah, horses go to their 30s. Mr. Ed was 52. Was he re- Are you just saying? Yeah, you're just saying that. <laughs> I was... I. This is a true story. I was recently talking about horses and their ages well we were talking about whether you need to bury a horse once it you know passes yes. to its great reward and the girl that i was talking to said that horses live to be about 16 but i don't know i don't know who knows okay, wait, wait, one second. So, yeah ethan's horse if that's the same horse which since its spine is all weird i would just assume it, it is that's, that's an old ass miserable horse okay according to ihearthorses.com the <laughs> oldest horse ever <laughs> And this was verified. <laughs> Lived to be 62 years old. That Holy shit. Horse. That horse was pulling social security. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Horse was an AARP. Alternately, what could have happened, hear me out. We haven't necessarily gotten to this. I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but perhaps our, uh, my man, Jonathan Powell's, maybe he passed himself and Ethan inherited his horses because he had two, I believe. And if he did, that's the luckiest break Ethan gets in this whole fucking novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the one moment of joy is the death of Jotham Powell. Now, here's something crazy. <laughs> and it happens <laughs> off camera. There you go. <laughs> it, it happens in the ellipsis, which is another thing that we'll get to eventually if RJ stops reading about horses. Yeah, here's right. a crazy fact. The world's oldest horse lived in the same town as the world's oldest dog. No shit. Yeah. That's amazing. There's just something in about Essex? that town, I guess, something in the water. But yes, Ethan is driving our narrator with his sad, sad horse. First, Ethan doesn't say much, which the narrator interprets as Ethan being as frozen and sad as Starkfield itself, as, mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, maybe just not wanting to talk to someone who has been hitting up basically everyone in this very small town for gossip about him. Like, just a thought. Well, I mean, according to Edith Wharton and, and every every word she writes in this book, poor people are wildly <laughs> stupid and incapable of uh, eloquent speech. 
They mostly just grunt and have sad eyes. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. They mostly talk. When they do talk, it's about their troubles. Which they have lots of. Meg, so I got some troubles. gossip for you. So that oldest dog. Jesus Christ. His name was Pip. He lived to be 24. That's 168 in dog years. Pip. They thank you for your contributions. That's an old dog. It's a very What old was the dog. horse's name? Shane. Shane. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Fair enough. From episode 17, Megan's extremely passionate thoughts slash vendettas against fans of the theory that the Earl of Oxford wrote Shakespeare's plays. And also the film Anonymous, which sucks. But anyway... It has all this background stuff about Elizabeth having bastard sons who might take the throne, and it's stuff that we kind of mentioned in our Hamlet episode, where everybody was getting very weird and backstabby and murdery. Picking sides. Yeah. We had the, the Cecils we were talking about. It's like Game of Thrones. It got very Game of Thronesy, minus the dragons, but presumably still with the boobs. And actually, still with the incest, because here's the thing. The movie posits that Queen Elizabeth and Edward de Vere got it on, and that the Earl of Southampton is their son, but de Vere's the only one who knows this. Also, uh, much like young Big Willie Shakespeare and Anne Hathaway, Elizabeth's old enough to be de Vere's mom, which is interesting because the movie says she is, and that he was also a bastard son of Elizabeth, and so the Earl of Southampton is his brother's son. So that's neat. So, Mark Rylance and Derek Jacoby actually have bit parts in the movie because of their Oxfordian inclinations, which means they would rather believe a crazy, incest-riddled, post-death playwriting conspiracy than just be like, Shakespeare was an average dude with an average education who happened to be really good at writing plays. Fun plays. Plays that were mainstream and popular and basically the Independence Day of the fucking 1600s. They didn't require a goddamn degree in fancy bullshit to enjoy, so, like, why would they to write? They're riddled with puns and sex jokes and campy bullshit, and it just seems weird and fancy and snooty to us because old-timey English and just how the plays have been portrayed in, like, movies and shit for the past hundred years. Hey, Mae. Yeah, RJ? I need to shave. Can I borrow your Occam's razor? <laughs> I know I put it down somewhere in the simplest place where you would expect to find it. Okay. From episode 46, RJ invents a beloved new Halloween mascot. Hello and welcome to Oh No Lit Class, the podcast that lit the black flame candle and summoned the Sanderson sisters on Halloween night. I'm... Mummy Megan. I'm I'm Mummy Megan. You're you're Mumgin. I'm Mumgin. I'm Jackua. <laughs> what? I jack you off. <laughs> I want to jack you off. <laughs> I I want a very different kind of body juice. What? <laughs> <laughs> I want to make you come. <laughs> And they, you know what? Jackula would be way more popular at parties than Dracula. Uh, E-Jackula. <laughs> Wait, no, that just makes it sound like he's just running around, just coming on people. No, no. I come to your house in I the find... night, and I come on you. Jackula. 
Like a mama used to make. <laughs> I come, I come and suck on your blood like a mama used to. You're RJ. I'm dead J. You're dead J. I thought you were dead RJ. Dead RJ. And you're listening to this on Halloween. Do, 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 do. What the fuck was that? I'm trying to do the Mike Myers song. Oh, wait, what? Wait, 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 wait. Screech, 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 screech. That's a hard sound to make with your mouth. What was the fucking, like, wait, what's the Halloween theme? I'm going to pull up the right one now because I need to hear how completely off you are. See, I was thinking more of like that um I actually don't know what song that is. You get a Google Yeah. This is a podcast about books. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dogs. Oh, that's right. I forgot you were here. We sure have had some fun times on Ono Lit class, haven't we? I hope you've enjoyed this retrospective and didn't think that it was a waste of time because it did actually take me a while to put it together. So it was, it was not just a, a cop-out. Please, please don't say that on social media. I know I said earlier that I will accept all attention as validation for my behavior, but I really am very soft and vulnerable. And, and, I, and I bruise very easily. Not enough iron in the diet. Um, but that's neither here nor there. If you enjoy the show and its various iconic gags, like the ones you just heard, then, you know, lend, lend us your support. Subscribe, leave us a review, tell your friends, tell your family, tell random strangers on the street. Just like pick out someone in a crowd and be like, hey, hey you, you look like you'd like a podcast about books that's kind of less about books and more about ways that we can talk about sex things and obscure Star Wars references for some reason. They'll, they'll appreciate it. No, it'll go great. You could always uh, check us out on Facebook, join the Facebook group, follow us on Twitter at Pod, do all of these things and more at onolickclass.com, and check back next Thursday on March 5th for the first episode of March Mini Madness, 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 Madness. Until then, I'm Megan. I'm RJ. Finance. I like to itch my beard really close to the microphone. Dick. It's like he never even left. We love you. Bye. I could do this. I could I could host a show by myself. I have the presence. It's in front of a microphone to carry it. No, I don't. I, I absolutely do not. I am literally already panicking.